A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajil farajah Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and thank you for joining us once again in our life series so until now we covered the crucial importance of knowledge and intellect in Islam we covered the topic of ignorance and foolishness we said that's the opposite and that's not an option for us therefore we came back to knowledge and we were now looking at the two conditions that makes knowledge Islamic that makes the information that we carry real knowledge in the Islamic sense the first of these conditions inshallah we're done discussing is the intention or the sincerity with which we acquire that knowledge and the intent we have behind that knowledge that we now carry the second condition is that we said, we called it transformational. The knowledge that we have has to be transformational knowledge. So it needs to transform us from the inside and therefore it needs to lead to action in the outside. And that's what we started discussing the last time we, we met. And so we said when we say it needs to become action, action is at the individual level so we need to do something to acquire the knowledge and then act on it and then there's a social or collective level too so we're not only thinking about ourselves but how do we benefit help others through that knowledge and what does that result in ultimately which is hopefully the idea of a community of knowledge so last time we met we went through a number of hadith already a number of narrations in which we established that the ultimate purpose as well as the perfection of knowledge but really our point is about the purpose of knowledge being action so knowledge must lead to action that's the objective behind acquiring knowledge i don't acquire knowledge just to acquire knowledge and we said that this is even more the case for people who are believers. And we saw a hadith that talk about this, especially in the case of the believer. The true form of their knowledge is in their actions, is in their behavior, not in the knowledge that no one sees at the level of theory that they carry. It needs to translate into action. A second point that we saw in the hadith is that knowledge without action is not considered knowledge at all and we saw hadith that are explicit and clear about this and that knowledge is only good or on, knowledge is only going to become guidance or knowledge is only going to be useful when it is leading to action so today we're going to continue with this theme uh, and we're going to keep looking at both sides so there's kind of a a positive side to this and a negative side to this that knowledge must lead to action so that's the positive of it and the negative is what if it doesn't what are we talking about why is it an issue that knowledge does not become action 
Okay, so the first hadith is from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. Um, yeah, we ended, we ended with this hadith we already covered, hadith Anwan al-Basri. Right? If you remember that Anwan al-Basri is a companion who came, a man who came to Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam seeking advice uh, about what to learn and where do I start. So the Imam told him you start by purifying yourself then you acquire knowledge and secure it within yourself by applying it. And then to really understand the meaning of that knowledge, then you seek its understanding from God. And because you secured sincerity in the first place, and you are sincere in your attempts to act based on the knowledge you have, when you seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in understanding much more deeply, seeing the world as it truly is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that knowledge. If you remember. Okay, so we ended with that. So the next hadith is actually from the Holy Prophet. He says, He so the Holy Prophet says knowledge is of two types. One type of knowledge is the knowledge of the tongue, as the Holy Prophet says. And a knowledge that stays at the level of speech. Okay? The Holy Prophet says, This type of knowledge is actually an argument against its owner. Knowledge that you carry that stays at the level of the tongue, stays at the level of speech, is an argument against you. Is evidence that you are carrying against yourself. And a knowledge of the heart, which is useful to the one who acts on it. So there's a knowledge that stays at the level of speech. That one is only good to serve as an argument against you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell you, did you not know? Then if you knew, then you had to act. So this is an argument that you are carrying against yourself. That's the ultimate purpose of that knowledge. It's going to serve as an argument against you. And we're going to see that as a theme today. It's going to come back in, in different forms. And then you have the knowledge of the heart. This is a knowledge that has actually impacted you. It's gone to your heart. It's gone to your soul. But the Holy Prophet says, it's useful to the one who acts on it. That one must also translate into action. Otherwise, it remains a problem or an argument against yourself. And then he adds, belief Belief is not the result or does not result from hopes. Okay? Belief is not the result of hopes. Rather, it is that which is solidly anchored in the heart and acted upon through the body parts. Okay, so this second part of the hadith is important as well. In the first part, inshallah, it's clear, the knowledge of the tongue is that you're carrying knowledge that you can repeat. Right? You can talk about it, you can repeat it. You know the words, you know the terms, you have the theory behind it. Okay, great. So the Holy Prophet here, and this is a theme that we find 
today, but in general in the in the narrations of the Holy Prophet and the Imams. The knowledge that you carry is going to be an argument against you. So it's actually bad if you don't intend to act on it. And then true knowledge, the knowledge that is not just staying at the level of the tongue in speech. Okay, so it's actually impacting you. And it becomes action. And if it's it does not become action, then we're back to knowledge of the tongue. Okay? And then the second part, when the Holy Prophet says, belief is not the result of hopes. You can want paradise as much as you want. You can think all the good, nice thoughts that you want to think. What are you actually doing? What do your actions actually say about what you believe in and don't believe in? Faith is not the result of hopes. I would add maybe a word that is not in the hadith. It's not the result of empty hopes. You need to back it up with action. Okay, and this is going to be, again, uh, the, the idea we talked about, this idea is an objection. When we talked about intentions and sincerity, when we ended that topic, we said an objection that may arise. We, we emphasized so much the importance of sincerity, the importance of intentions, that someone may think, okay, well, action is not important. So we kept coming back to, no, that's not what we're saying. And you see it, and we said we're going to come back to it. This is where you start to see the importance of action. Sincerity of what? Sincerity of action. You're sincere when you acquire the knowledge in what you want to do with it, and you are sincere when you're actually acting. But all everything is centered around once you know you must do. No one can come back and object that it's sufficient that I have good intents. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only going to look at people and you know the good that they carry in their hearts and that is all true. But what is really making you move towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, go in the right direction, are your actions. And the actions that you did not do, but you truly and sincerely intended on doing. Otherwise, we're not really talking about action. And what really moves you is not hopes, as the Holy Prophet says. It's your action. Okay, we're going to see that come back a few times today. So, iman, faith, belief requires work. Hope is not enough. Intent is not enough. And of course, here this opens the... I don't want to spend too much time on the ahadith until we can keep moving fast enough. As soon as we talk about work, it means it's hard work. It means it's discipline. It means it requires effort. Okay? So the next hadith, I think, is very appropriate here from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, مَنْ لَمْ يُوقِنْ قَلْبُهُ مَنْ لَمْ يُوقِنْ قَلْبُهُ لَمْ يُطِعْ عَمَلَهُ the one whose heart has not acquired certainty, his actions are not going to obey him. This is going to be a very important topic. First of all, there's a, this, uh, there's a notion here. Man lam there's a notion of yaqeen that we talked about earlier. The Imam is saying that someone who does not have that yaqeen in his heart, that's certainty, the highest level of it's the highest degree of knowing, of knowledge. You have certainty. You have no doubts. 
unshakable belief or unshakable, you know exactly what you know, why you know it, and it does not, you know, every little question and every little doubt does not make you change your mind and turn your life upside down. So a first point here, and inshallah we're going to come back to this much more in depth, is this whole notion of certainty. We can look at it, we can look at all of the texts. Our religion is filled, the Holy Quran is filled with very rich and very important references to the notion of yaqeen. What does it mean? What are its levels? And so on and so forth. Inshallah we'll come back to yaqeen. But I think that's the information that you can easily find. Usually I try to focus on the rest. The rest is the link between this notion of yaqeen and what happens in today's world. In today's world, we live in a world that is usually referred to as a postmodern world. Right? Inshallah, when we talk about understanding the world, the types of knowledge we need, we're planning to spend a bit of time on this notion. When you keep hearing that we live in a modern, the modern era, what is modernity and modernism? Okay, and then what is post-modernity or post-modernism? And there are other, there's other terms used for it. Sometimes they call it hyper-modernity and there's other terms for it. The idea is there are things that happened, really they happened in Europe, that led to people thinking that we are going to leave behind the way that we've been living for centuries. This does not work. It's only led to misery and poverty and corruption and, and, and. We lost our dignity as human beings. We're going to leave all of that aside. And we're going to take ownership of our own lives as human beings. We're going to get rid of God and we're going to get rid of the church and we're going to get rid of the king and we're going to get rid of all those things that have an authority over us. And we're going to place ourselves at the top. Right? And so it's all about the individual. And what's going to guide us because clearly we're seeing that this is where the true knowledge is coming from. What's going to guide us forward is science. Science in the very material sense. So we're going to restructure all of life based on science. And science is going to be the light forward. Okay, our north star, our compass. Whatever science says, we do. And all of the answers of humanity will finally be all of the questions of humanity will finally be answered. All of our issues will be resolved because we have science. So everybody jumped on that bandwagon. And this lasted for a while. Until some very catastrophic events happened in the world. One crisis after another happened, ultimately culminating in World War I and World War II. And then people start to wonder, okay, but we were following the science. We use science everywhere we can. And this was the ultimate result. So this was a very big shock for a lot of thinkers and a lot of people who were bought into this idea. So some people said it's because we didn't apply it properly and we didn't go far enough and we didn't put a structure around it. That's what was missing. We're going to keep plowing through like we were doing before. And some people said this was all wrong. We have to go back to what we had before. And some people said if what we had before does not work, did not work, and what we tried to replace it with, the only thing that humanity has been able to achieve, to create, to develop, to replace the old model with, has also led to catastrophic things, then it means that we're all doomed. And there is no truth. 
and who knows you know what the truth is no one can claim anymore that there is a truth and a good and so ultimately it leads to the type of society where this is post postmodernism there is no more truth there are truths but there is no the truth and that's why in today's world they talk about you have your truth and i have my truth if you really understand the notion of truth this is contradictory Okay, you can say you have your opinion and I have my opinion, but that you have your truth and I have mine, but this is the result of everything that has happened. They call it relativism. We live in a world where everything is relative. There are no absolutes. There is no right and wrong. Okay, and so this is, if you live in this world, what this means is that every time you look at something, if you think that that thing has a, a truth, a reality, it could be right or wrong, the general narrative of the world is going to consider that a taboo. It's going to say, you're not supposed to think that there is a right and a wrong. There is everything you believe in is right for you. It's not right for me, but it's right for you. And what I believe in is right for me, but I'm not going to try to try to get you to, to change your mind because I think that you're wrong. This is, you know, the, the ultimate version of it has appeared recently in the woke culture, and we'll come back to that. Okay, and there are reasons for it, and basically the woke culture is now imploding on itself. We're going to come back to that. Why it is imploding on itself? Because it becomes self-contradictory. It, it became the extreme left, as they say, and it's self-imploding. If you apply its own principles to it, you see that it starts collapsing. Okay, they cannot consider, you can't be on the left and try to move in the world and act in the world. If on the one side you say, there is no truth, and on the other you say, but what they're doing is wrong. Right? How is it? What are you basing it on to say that this is wrong? This is when there's a huge problem right now, whether you look at it culturally, whether you look at it politically. And so right now we are still living in a world where there, not, there is no truth. There are not a lot of people who dare say there is right and wrong, there is truth and uh, justice and correctness and, and then the opposite. There's a lot of relativity. It's all gray. Okay, what does that mean for me as a believer? It means that I'm actually living in a world where I'm not supposed to be believing anything. It means that, you know, there might be a God, but there might not be. And he may have said things that we have to do, and he may not have. And whatever I know is open to questioning, and it's open to doubt, constantly in doubt. So what does this result in? You have Imam Ali alayhi salam, he, he says it here. So this applies at a very macro level, Inshallah, we're going to come back much more in depth. This was a very quick, I wasn't intending to talk about any of this. Okay? At the macro, but at a micro level, at the individual level, what does it mean? This is when I have to start looking at my own actions. Am I lacking discipline? I think I know what I'm supposed to do. But then when I look at my actions, when I look at my behavior, I see that it doesn't match what I know to be true so what's the issue what's missing between i know that this is good 
and my action that does not match me knowing that this is good. What's the issue? What's missing? Imam Ali alayhi salam here he says, Man lam qalbuh, If you don't have certainty in your heart, lam amaluh. When the going gets tough and you need to put in effort and sacrifice and do work, real work, any effort, so to each his own and depending on the cases we're talking about. It could be as simple as you actually need to wake up from a very comfortable sleep to pray in the morning. That's work. Or it could be something, you know, a lot bigger, requiring much more investment of time and effort and money and energy. Why do you put in that work? Why do you go there? Because you have certainty. Otherwise, you wouldn't go there. You believe in something, but you really believe in it. You have yaqeen. So long as you remain in doubt, so long as you remain in check, when the moment comes to really put in the effort, you're not going to go there. Because there's doubt. Even if it's 5% or 10%, you're going to say, why would I? You know, It might not actually be like this, so it might not be worth it for me to put in all this money and effort and energy and time. So there is a high level component to this that we have to address and I feel it's usually not addressed. We don't realize what has happened in the world culturally over the past maybe two centuries, century and a half, two centuries, where we are today, what it means to be a believer or to want to be a believer in a postmodern relativistic world. That's one. And then two, at a very individual level. If the saying of Imam Ali is true, he's saying that if your actions are not obeying you, it's because you have a lack of certainty in your heart. There's a weakness in your belief. You may know it theoretically, but you have no yaqeen. You don't have certitude, or you don't have certainty. You still have doubt. And we've talked about this in the Aqa'id series, in the belief series. Imagine someone who puts a cup in front of you and he says, what is in this cup is haram. And you really want to drink it. To a lot of people, if you really want to drink it and they say this is haram, it might be enough to abstain from drinking it, let's say, depending, each is going to be different. For someone, it's going to be 100% great. They're, they're amazing. To some, it's going to be 90 or 80 or 60 or 20% because it's haram. If you did the same thing, you put a cup in front of someone and you told them, or we apply to ourselves, the same cup with the same content in it, you're not told this is Haram. You're told this is poison. If someone, if a human being drinks this, they die. And you know that they're saying the truth. This is where you compare. Is my level of staying away from this thing the same? Do I have the same yaqeen? Do I have the same certainty that this is bad for me because it's a poison as because it's haram? Or is one of them much stronger than the other? This is 
And the reason I use it, poison, or you could say the same thing. Someone tells you walking in that building is haram. What's happening in that building, going in there is haram. To some people, this might be, I don't know, a 20% or a 40% deterrent. But there's still the doubt. Okay, I understand, maybe in theory, but there's no certainty what it means when I say this is haram. Versus, you have a building that's burning in front of you. And someone tells you that building is burning. Would you walk in there? No. Why? Because you have certainty that this is going to be harmful. Do you have the same certainty that it will be harmful to do the haram? The same act. Consider it a poison. Consider it something physically damaging to you. It would be physically damaging to you not to pray Salat al-Fajr. This is when you see, okay, do I have the certainty or there's a lack in the certainty? There's a lack in the yaqeen. That's why the act does not follow, does not obey the heart or does not obey the mind. The mind is saying this is right and wrong, but because there's doubt. There's a, a alim who writes at some point in his, in his uh, akhlaq book, in his uh, spiritual development book, he says the majority of the people, if you ask them, you know, if, if there's a dead body, can that dead body do anything to you? They will say no. But if you ask them, would you spend the night alone beside the dead body? They wouldn't agree. And he says this is a difference between someone who really knows and someone who knows but there's doubt. He's saying what's logically the right thing to say. Yeah, yeah, this is just a dead corpse. It won't do anything then why wouldn't you spend the night with it? There's a doubt. You need to think about what that doubt is. There's something that Imam Ali salam is saying here that we need to dig into, each for ourselves, about this notion of certainty. What's missing for me to move my knowledge from something theoretical to something that in which I have yaqeen? Because really this amounts to a weakness in faith. This is a weakness in iman. If I really believe this is good, if I really believe God said do this and don't do that, if I really believe that this is my happiness in this world and the next, it shouldn't be a problem. But in our cases, all of our cases, there will be situations where we will not have the discipline. There will be a lack. The act is not going to match the knowledge. That's doubt. Imam Ali salam says, "Man lam qalbuhu lam So as we said, again, this is hard work. Okay? So there's work that needs to happen internally. That's not always pleasant. But it needs to happen. And then what is required is that we actually do we actually get to the action part. Okay, so a next hadith that talks about this action part. From Imam Ali alayhi salam. So this is from a very long sermon. That's actually not in Nahj al-Balagha. It's in Bihar al-Anwar. Eventually he says, so the beginning of it is, اِحْذَرُوا هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا الْخَدَّاعَةَ الْغَدَّارَةَ الَّتِي قَدْ تَزَيَّنَتْ بِحُلِيِّهَا 
وفتنت بغرورها and so on until he says خذ بالثقة من العمل وإياك والاغترار بالأمل at some point after he talks about this life and not being tricked, duped, deceived by it, by its decorations and ornaments and beauties, he talks for a long time about this, then it's like every, literally every sentence in the khutbah becomes a piece of advice. So one of them is this one. خُذْ بِالثِّقَةِ مِنَ الْعَمَلِ وَإِيَّاكَ وَالْإِغْتِرَارُ بِالْأَمَلِ So he says, draw your confidence or rely on Action. Your confidence has to come from acting, from putting in the work. If you want to be confident about anything, you have to be confident in your work. And beware of being deceived by hopes. Going back to what the Holy Prophet talked about earlier. Faith is not the result of hopes. Here Imam Ali says, don't get tricked, don't get deceived. Okay? Rely on work and don't get deceived by hopes. Okay? There's a component of this for sure that is in line with what we're talking about, a spiritual, religious dimension to this. But this is also one of those hadith, I think, that can become a principle for all of us to live our lives by, our daily lives. This is not limited to acting for the afterlife. If you have dreams and you have hopes and you have plans and ambitions, and that's amazing and that's good. But that's nothing to sink your teeth into. You have to translate that into action. Then you can rely on it. And usually it starts moving. And you're going to see that as one of the themes today. Inshallah, it comes loud and clear. It's, it's a call to action. Hopes and dreams and plans and everything in theory is good. But you can't rely on it. Because it's not really there. It hasn't materialized. It hasn't crystallized yet. So these ahadith, like this one, Imam saying, move on, act, put in the work, start with the work. If you've thought about it, you have the knowledge, you have the ambition and the plan and the hope, so what are you waiting for? And we're going to see that in a number of ahadith today. Yeah, and again, this is another hadith I think that is very easily usable as the answer to the objection we talked about earlier. And that, you know, intentions are so important in our religion that someone may think they're enough. Okay? So in addition to everything we said there. This next hadith from Imam al-Jawad alayhi salam, he says, and so this is a, a long narration that we have maybe one day we get to actually go through the entire narration. There's a long narration in which the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he gives a wasiyah to Imam Ali ﷺ. He gives him a piece of advice, but it's a very long piece of advice. It actually contains a few hundred pieces of advice in it. And they're short, each one of them, one after the other. 
Okay, so this is a part of it. Imam Jawad salam, he says, part of the wasiyah of the Holy Prophet to Ali. He says, Al-ilmu ilman. Knowledge is of two types. Matbu'un wa masmu'. Wala yanfa'u masmu'un idha lam yakun matbu'. وَمَنْ عَرَفَ الْحِكْمَةَ لَمْ يَصْبِرْ مِنَ الْإِزْدِيَادِ عَلَى الْإِزْدِيَادِ مِنْهَا الْجَمَالُ فِي اللِّسَانِ وَالْكَمَالُ فِي الْعَقْلِ Okay, that's just a little part from it, relevant to us. So knowledge is of two types. A knowledge that is sealed or stamped, مطبوع, I'm going to come back to this term. A knowledge that is stamped or a knowledge that is sealed, and a knowledge that is heard. And the heard knowledge, a knowledge that you simply heard, is useless if it does not become stamped or sealed. And then he adds these little pieces of advice. The one who knows wisdom is never going to be satiated or satisfied from it. You never have enough the moment you know. Okay? And then the next part, Al-Jamalu Fil-Lisan. There's beauty which lies in the tongue or in speech. Wal-Kamalu Fil-Aql. But perfection is in the intellect. It's not in speech. So, the, the point, I think, there's an important point that not to spend too much time on it, but this idea of matbu' When the Holy Prophet says, knowledge is of two types. There's a type of knowledge that is heard, and there's a type of knowledge that is stamped or sealed. Okay, sealed in the heart or stamped on the heart. So the little, the literal meaning of it is that when you hear something and it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't really leave any lasting impact on you. And there's a type of knowledge that is engraved, uh, carved in you, stamped or sealed on you. And so that becomes virtually impossible to get rid of that. And that's the knowledge that the Holy Prophet says you need to have. You need to take that knowledge that is just passing. You heard it and it goes away. That knowledge, if it stays at the heard level, something you listen to, then it's useless, the Holy Prophet says. So it needs to become the type of knowledge that is stamped or sealed. If you look at the word in Arabic, مطبوعٌ ومسموعٌ This is, as I said, this is a literal interpretation or, or comment or understanding of the word and of the hadith. There's another way to understand it. In Arabic, when you say the word matbu', what does it come from? The root of the word, the root of the term. It's tab'. What is the tab' in Arabic? It's the nature of something. The, in, the inner disposition or nature or reality of something. There is a knowledge that stays at the herd level. And there's a knowledge that is going to change your nature. In Arabic, for instance, they say شَاعْرٌ uh, شَاعْر is a poet مطبوع is what? He's stamped or sealed? No He is naturally a poet He 
delivers poetry, he recites and creates poetry effortlessly. It's a second nature to him, without any effort. Sha'arun matbu'. Or Taba'allahu nas. What's Taba'allah? He has created people with different dispositions. To each, he has his own Taba'. These people or this person has this Taba', that other person has that Taba'. So one way to understand ilm being of these two types is that there is a knowledge that will change your nature, that affects your nature, and a knowledge that stays at the heard level, at the ear level. You heard it, but it doesn't do anything much for you beyond that you heard it. Our whole theme here is transformational knowledge. Knowledge that changes you. Here the Prophet is saying, there is a type of knowledge that is matbu' that affects your tab'ah, that affects your nature. Okay, so the other part, very quickly, I think these are very clear, but when the Holy Prophet says, مَنْ عَرَفَ الْحِكْمَةَ لَمْ يَصْبِرْ عَلَى الْإِزْدِيَادِ مِنْهَا once you know knowledge, once you have tasted wisdom, the Holy Prophet here is referring to the aql as the type of knowledge that goes in aql is wisdom, judgment, wisdom, the knowledge that accompanies aql. He says, once you have tasted it, you always want more, you're never satiated by it, you're never satisfied with it. And so this becomes a, a litmus test for us. Right? Do I get filled up quickly and I'm done? Or do I always want more? This is to the extent that you always want more and you never tire and everybody tires at some point. But it's because you've really tasted real wisdom or not that makes you keep want to keep going or you don't know what you're missing on, missing out on. So you're happy with a little bit that you get and that's all you. It's because you haven't tasted wisdom as the Holy Prophet says. Okay, and then the next uh, part, there is beauty in speech. So that in itself is not a bad thing. Beauty in itself is not a bad thing. Speech in itself, and we talked a little bit about this last time, is not a bad thing. In fact, in a lot of cases, this becomes the most appropriate way to act, right? To use speech. And you want to add whatever is appropriate in that speech, including beauty, to maximize the effect of that speech. But that's not the real perfection. It's easy to adorn and beautify and ornament something. So the Holy Prophet is saying you can do that with speech. That in itself is not the criteria. Sometimes it's the right thing, sometimes it's not. The real criteria, the real perfection, the real kamal is kamalul aql. The real perfection is the aql perfection. It's the perfection of the aql, the intellect. The next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, this one again is a very interesting hadith, a longer, not very long, but long, longer hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. And there's a, a number of variants from it. This one is from Tuhaf al-Uqul. So this is a hadith, very interesting, in which Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, he talks about things in threes. The whole hadith is three, three, three. That's the whole theme of the hadith. It's a longer hadith. Inshallah, maybe one day we go through it. 
So I took this little part that I thought was relevant. The first part, inshallah, we're going to come back to it in more detail later. Okay, but we'll still go through it now. So he says, Al-ilmu thalatha Ayatun muhkamah Aw faridatun adilah Aw sunnatun qa'imah Wal-nasu thalatha Jahilun ya'ba an yata'allam Wa'alimun qad shaffaha ilmah Wa'aqilun ya'malu Lidunyahu wa akhiratah So he says knowledge is of three kinds. Knowledge is three. Ayatun muhkamah, a clear verse, verse of the Quran. Ayatun muhkamah, an, an unambiguous, manifest, clear verse. Or a just obligation, fariyatun <coughs> qa'imah, a just obligation that you know this is something that is obligatory upon you and you do it. And it's just, it's good. Or an upright tradition. وَسُنَّةٌ قَائِمَةٌ Okay? And then he says, people are three. This was knowledge is three. Now people are three. A fool who refuses to learn. جَاهُلٌ يَأْبَى أَنْ يَتَعَلَّمْ A scholar who puts his knowledge on his lips. وَعَالِمٌ قَدْ شَفَّهَ He's put his Knowledge on his lips, on his shafa. Okay? وَعَالِمٌ قَدْ شَفَّهَ عِلْمَهُ وَعَاقِلٌ يَعْمَلُ لِدُنْيَاهُ وَآخِرَتِهِ And عَاقِل, uh, someone who possesses intellect, who is working for his life and for his afterlife. These are the three types of people. An ignorant who refuses to learn, this second person who actually learned, a scholar, who has put his knowledge on his lips, that's it. He doesn't act based on the knowledge. He talks about it. And the one who actually possesses the intellect. And how do you know they possess the intellect? They act. And they act for what? For this world and the next. Okay? So the first part of the hadith this is a very famous hadith attributed to the Holy Prophet This one is from Imam Sadiq. The Holy Prophet has the exact one or similar versions to it. Okay, There's a number of variants to the hadith. And there are a lot of commentaries that have been written on this. That there are three types of knowledge. So uh, the, the ayah, the Holy Quran. So we can, in short, we can say everything related to the knowledge of the Holy Quran. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And all of this, as I said, this whole first part of the hadith is really answering our question about which types of knowledge should we learn. Okay, we'll talk about that inshallah much more de- in much more detail later. So he says, ayatun muhkamah, or fariyatun adilah, or sunnatun qa'imah. So fariyatun adilah, a lot of, pro- of, of scholars are going to say, this is your understanding of fiqh, of Islamic law what you have to do and what you can't do and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. This is all of your fiqh, your actions, practical law in Islam. Okay, so this is your fara'av. And then you have your sunnatun qa'imah. This is a tradition, a tradition that is upright. So this is everything that you're inheriting that is beyond what the Holy Quran is saying, which is your entire belief system. And 
the laws around it, what's left? It's your moral character. It's the things that affect your personality. This is your akhlaq. Okay, so this is a traditional way of understanding this hadith. There are others. This is a traditional way of understanding it, and inshallah we're going to come back to it when, when we talk about the types of knowledge. So usually there's also an ending. When, when this was from Imam Sadiq, when you see the hadith from the Holy Prophet, he says, And what is beyond that, what is after those three, is fadl. It's a, it's a bonus, it's superfluous. So if you have to choose, if you have to prioritize, this is what you have to prioritize. Okay, so that's the first part of the hadith. Then you have the second part of the hadith, where the Holy uh, Imam Sadiq here is saying there are three types of people. You have the person who refuses to learn. You have the person who has learned, but they don't act. They have kept their knowledge at the level of the lips. And the person who is acting, who is doing something with their knowledge. Now, these two parts of the hadith, obviously, there has to be a link between them. It's not just two random things that the Imam is saying. And so, in short, because it's a topic we've talked about and it's an underlying theme in the whole series, it's just a, a reminder, constant reminder, that we find it in everywhere we look in our religion. It doesn't say you only work for the afterlife. And it doesn't say you only work for this life. So the person who has aql, Imam Sadiq is saying, there is the person who refuses to learn, fool, and inshallah doesn't apply to any of us. Right? We said jahl is out of the picture. We have to work on our knowledge and on our aql. Okay, so that's not an option. Someone who refuses to learn, ya'ba and yata'allam. And then where we're headed, which is now that I carry the knowledge, then what? So the Imam warns us. He says there is, a, there is a second category of people. They have learned. Those people carry knowledge. But their knowledge has been restricted. You can reduce all of their knowledge to lip service. Their knowledge is at the level of the shafah, of the lips. And then you have the person who is working for both this world and the next. So to me, the link between the second part of three types of people and the first part, which is there are three types of knowledge, is this is the answer to the question we want to ask. What type of knowledge? That's where we're headed in the series, right? Ultimately, what type of knowledge should I be learning? The second part, if you only restrict yourself to the first part, you might think, okay, I have to learn the Holy Quran, and I have to learn the Islamic laws, and I have to learn Islamic akhlaq, and that's the knowledge I have to acquire. But there's something in the second part in addition to this. The Imam says the person who, has, who possesses intellect is the person who is working not only for the afterlife, but working for this life and the afterlife. So that first part... You have to find a way to learn it. You have to learn the Qur'an and you have to learn the sunnah and you have to learn the fara'id in a way that allows you to work in this world and work in the next world. That's the type of knowledge we need. Okay? Hence the life series. That's the whole point. That we take 
the traditional Islamic knowledge and see how does it apply to day-to-day -day life. Okay. So next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Very, I think, directly linked to the previous hadith. It begins with an instruction from the Imam about the same topic in general, but now he's talking to one category of people. He says, Ya Hamalat al Quran, I'malu bih, Fain al Alim, Man Alime, Thumma Amile, Bima Alim, Wawafaka, Amaluhu, Ilma. So he says, O carriers of the Quran, act upon it. For the scholar is the one who learns then who acts upon what they learned so that their acts correspond to their knowledge. Okay, so a first comment related to Yahamalat al-Qur'an. There was a time early in Islam when the main type of knowledge that you could carry to become a scholar at that time meant what? meant you, that you are Hamalat al-Qur'an. That was Islamic knowledge. You want to learn Islam, you, you come to the Prophet and he teaches you, or one of the companions who have been taught themselves, they will teach you some Qur'an. They will teach you how to read it, how to recite it, and what it means. This was Islamic knowledge. So the scholar at that time was Hamalat al-Qur'an. And that's why it used to be a very prestigious title. Because today we might say, that you, you find in history, so-and-so was Muqra' or Shaykh al-Qurra, the one who taught all of the Qurra in the mosque in Medina or in Mecca or in Kufa. It, means, it doesn't mean that that person recited the Qur'an. That goes without saying that they recited the Qur'an. It means that they understood the Qur'an and they taught its tafsir and its meaning. So Imam Ali is talking to those people who at that time were at the top of the knowledge chain in Islamic society. So here you have to add a component that yes, he is talking to the scholars in general, but those scholars specifically they've associated themselves with something that carries the highest level of sacredness. You're not just a scholar. When people point to you, they don't say this is just you know, someone who has knowledge. They associate you with the Holy Quran. So there's an extra responsibility here. And of course, that responsibility comes with a merit. It comes with value. This is perhaps a part that is missing in today's world. The Qur'an does not have the place it used to have before. It's not because its value has decreased. It's because we don't see it like those people did. But it comes with a responsibility. Imam Ali says, you associate yourself with that type of knowledge, then the expectation from you is that you act based on that type of knowledge. And we're going to see why when we talk about scholars. The main point about the whole discussion about scholars is going to be this. That you know, you know 
Now you have to act based on that knowledge. There's a responsibility associated with your knowledge. And so if that knowledge is the Holy Qur'an, is reciting the Qur'an and understanding its meaning, that adds another layer of responsibility on you. People are considering you a representative of the Qur'an, not just of general knowledge. You represent the Holy Qur'an. It better show in your action. Okay? And then of course the hadith contains the same notions that we've seen until now. فَإِنَّ الْعَالِمَةِ Imam says, a scholar, what's the definition of a scholar? It's not someone who has a degree. It's not someone who has learned. It's not someone who can repeat the words or who knows the terminology. He says, فَإِنَّ الْعَالِمَةِ مَنْ عَلِمَ ثُمَّ عَمِلْ بِمَا عَلِمْ The scholar is the one who has learned and then who acts based on their knowledge. Upon their knowledge. That knowledge is translated into action. And so his actions and his knowledge, they match. They're aligned. And that's the alim. That's exactly what the imam said earlier. Because if you don't, it means you have a lack of certainty. A lack of ilm. Right? The doubt. The lack of yaqeen that we talked about. So of course you don't have the real ilm. If your actions don't match, if your actions don't obey, as we saw in the hadith. I think I'm going to stop here. So the next few hadith I had were, uh, I'm going to call it on the negative side. So we saw the positive side, we're done with it, which is knowledge must lead to action. And we saw the hadith that talk about, therefore, what is what it looks like. So we want to see what it doesn't look like, right? Just a few hadith. With that, and then we move on to the effects of what there's a relationship between knowledge and action. What happens if that relationship is distorted? What are the effects? When it's preserved, there are effects, there are consequences, and there are effects when that doesn't happen. So, beyond just the fact that you know you're not really meeting the criteria for knowledge or being a scholar. And inshallah, of course, that gets us to talk a little bit about the spirituality around all of this. Okay, and then we'll be done and we'll move to the next heading, which is the learner and everything around the learner. Okay, so let's stop here. So happy to take any questions, concerns, comments. Yes. Uh, hope in you know I'm I'm gonna be a good person and I hope to you know make it to paradise. And I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts my deeds and, and considers me one of the believers. And that's the hope. The, the hope is in you know, the destination where you want to go. But you have to put in the work. So the Holy Prophet and Imam Ali, both of them are talking about the same thing. That if you want to limit 
your entire project or where you want to go to hoping to get there, you won't get there. Iman and faith is amal. It's not hoping to get there. It's acting to get there. That's the purpose from the, the, the notion of hope here. And so I'm linking it also to our whole discussion of intentions. Okay, When we talked about sincerity, I think it's much clearer. Sincerity entails your sincere intent to act. Okay, But when we just say intention, intention could be, you know, I have good intentions to do, but it never translates. It never materializes into action. So hopefully these ahadith are a reminder that maybe those types of intentions where I have good intentions, but I never really truly intend to act on them. The intents are there. So if that's the case, then I think that falls more under hope than under sincerity. Because you're not sincere in wanting to act on it. We, we said sincerity means you really want to act on it and there's something that prevents you. Not you procrastinating and being lazy and lacking the discipline. Something prevents you. Life prevents you. Disease prevents you. Poverty prevents you. Circumstances, whatever it may be. But that you have no excuse and nothing is happening. Inshallah, you get some reward for having the good intents. But there's something missing here. And I think it's much closer to empty hopes. Where the Holy Prophet... So when you have these ahadith, it, it serves as a warning. In case... You know, we might remember and focus on the ahadith that say, so long as the intentions are good. Yeah, it is. It's true. But the Holy Prophet says, لَيْسَ الْإِيمَانُ Don't get tricked. Don't get deceived, Imam Ali السلام, says, by hope. You can't rely on hope. You can rely on action, Imam Ali السلام, says. You want to rely, you want to put your trust and confidence in something, put it in your actions. Right? So these were the, the two ahadith. Um, yeah, خُذْ بِالثِّقَةِ مِنَ amal. Right? That was the second one from Imam Ali. وَإِيَّاكَ وَالْإِغْتِرَارُ بِالْأَمَلِ So draw your confidence from action or rely on action and beware of being deceived by hope. And the first hadith was from the Holy Prophet, which is actually, I think, the first we started with today. لَيْسَ الْإِيمَانُ بِالتَّمَنِّي وَلَكِنَّهُ مَا ثَبَتَ فِي الْقَلْبِ وَعَمِلَتْ بِهِ الْجَوَارِحِ Iman is not with hopes. It is what is deeply anchored in the heart and what shows on your body parts, on your limbs. You actually act on it when people see action. That's Iman. It has to translate into action. It can't stay at the level of the hopes that you carry. Okay. Tafallu. Yes, yes. So that hadith was from uh, Imam al-Jawad alayhi salam saying that this was a wasiyah from the Holy Prophet to Imam Ali alayhi salam. He tells him, Al-ilmu ilman, matbu'un wa masmu' wala yanfa'u masmu'un idha lam yakun matbu' وَمَنْ عَرَفَ الْحِكْمَةَ لَمْ يَصْبِرْ عَلَى الْإِزْدِيَادِ مِنْهَا So this is another part, right? 
والجمال في اللسان والكمال في العقل Okay, so that part we can remove it, but the first part is, I think, what you're. So, um, my question was: so he talks about the alma and makbur and the Yes. And uh, obviously, we want, we want the makbur. Yes. How does like uh, is he just um, telling us as a criteria like you should go towards the like makbur as in make it into action, or is it like because? Of, when I first heard it before you gave the translation, I thought Makbot means writing it down and hearing it. So it is, but it's here. Okay. So basically, uh, don't let it just be heard. So if you write it, then it's like full knowledge type of thing. But when you translate it, it was a little bit different. So I just wanted to know what's the transfer between the hearing knowledge to the Makbot. Um, uh, under my interpretation, at first it was just the writing. Yes. No, we're talking about the human being and their faculties. Yeah, you might hear knowledge, and that's heard knowledge. And then there is knowledge that is imprinted on you. So what, how, how do you go from... Because the Holy Prophet says, There is no benefit, there is no use, there is no good in the mesmu'ah. If it's the first interpretation, then this doesn't apply. There is still some benefit to listening to knowledge, to hearing knowledge. The Holy Prophet is talking about something else. He's not saying any knowledge that you don't write down is useless. He's saying every knowledge that does not become imprinted on you, that does not leave an, an imprint or an effect on you, on your heart, on your soul, transformational, every knowledge that does not affect you, so it's not sealed on you, that's useless. It, meca- it means it comes and goes. Yeah, but so the question is then, okay, we don't want, the Holy Prophet says one of them is useless, the masmu' is useless, so what do I do? The truth is in a lot of cases, the masmu' is, is the only way, it's necessary. And that's why the Holy Prophet is talking about it. The question is, how do I move from that one to the matbu' And the answer we had in a number of narrations last week, and we're going to see more, it's action. It has to affect you. You have to believe in it and act on it so that it affects you. And then that's your transformational knowledge. Okay? Knowledge that when it comes in, something happens. It changes you from the inside and then you act differently now that you know. Okay? So that's a really good question. There are other ahadith. Inshallah, we'll talk maybe a little bit about that. I think it's an important uh, topic. Um, we can call it like the, the, the logistics of knowing or knowledge where we have a hadith. For instance, Imam Sadiq and others where he talks about Qur'an al-ilmu bil-kitabah, for instance. He, he says uh, knowledge and, and uh, knowing knowledge, Qur'an al-ilm bil-kitabah, has been linked with, is associated or coupled with writing. You want to learn better, you want to learn more, you want to learn more deeply, you want to remember what you learned, write it down. Don't just let it, you know, stay at a... a only relying on memory, for instance. And there's other parts to that too, right? Because especially, and this is anyone who has studied history, big historians, they've identified, all of them, they identify this. They say the big turning point in humanity's history is when they moved from oral traditions to written traditions. That's when you have knowledge that lasts across generations. Because they can build on what you leave them. 
if it's oral, everybody who comes is going to repeat because it gets lost and it gets distorted and and so everybody has to start from scratch and rebuild on okay so that and that's why they call it history by the way for anyone who wants to study history the difference between history and prehistory is what history has a written record so you can actually go back and see a written record and study it all the way to Hammurabi in in, in Babylonia it's there's a written record if you go beyond that, there is no more written record. So what do you do? You dig in archaeology, you, you study uh, culture and what uh, artifacts that were left by those cultures, and you, you make conjecture. But you, know, you no longer have any written record. So they don't call it history. We're now studying pre-history. History has to be written down. Okay, so inshallah we'll talk a little bit more about writing. And, and its association, it's a good, uh, it's a good link that you, uh, you thought about. But here I think the, the hadith is deeper, more spiritual, uh, and has to impact us more. Tafallu, Ahmed. It definitely can be relative to the person. So it can change from person to person. 100%. It's an excellent question. That uh, knowledge that affects me is probably going to be different than knowledge that affects you. Or affects me to the same degree. Some knowledge may not affect me at all. And it will affect you and change your life tremendously. Or it affects both of us, but it affects me much more than affects you. And, you know, a, a great example of this, if you want to go back to Nahj al-Balagha and read the khutbah, where there is one of the companions of Imam Ali alayhi salam who tells him, Hummam, when he tells him, describe to us al-Muttaqeen, right? And the Imam gives him, starts describing al-Muttaqeen. Uh, the companion passes away at the end. From the description that Imam Ali alayhi salam gave of who is muttaqi, who has taqwa, that person passed away. In the Hajj al-Balagha, the sermon is there and it's considered authentic. Why? I, it doesn't affect me. I don't die when I read it. It's not affecting me the way it's affecting him. Clearly, he has a different type of transparent purity that affects him that way. He's comparing himself to the description that the imam is giving. He's saying, this is how I'm distant from what the imam is describing. This is how far I am from the taqwa that the imam is talking about. And this was enough for him to pass away. So the same knowledge, no one else passed away. And the imam said, this is what the good hikmah, the good wisdom does to its people. Those people who are the people of wisdom, this is meant for them, this is what it does to them. The Imam is almost, he's saying, this is what naturally happens to someone like him. But it doesn't happen to others. So the, the knowledge is not, and that's why we, we keep saying those are the conditions. Right? The conditions are that the intent with which you approach the knowledge makes it knowledge. And how it affects you, and therefore what you do about it, makes it knowledge. It's not the information or the type of the information or where it comes from. That's secondary, and we will talk about that. But that becomes kind of an afterthought discussion that we can have. So long as we really understand 
that those are the main conditions for knowledge to be knowledge in Islam. How does it affect you? And a lot of it is, you know, how much do you open your heart to it? A lot of it has to do with that more than two people study the, the cell, right? Or two people study a law of nature. And one person says, therefore, there is no God. And the other person says, what an incredible God he is. The same piece of information. So, yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And this is, so basically, it highlights that it's not about the nature or the type of the information as much as how it affects each individual. Okay, so the question is, therefore, is there a prerequisite? And in short, the prerequisite is only what we're talking about. If you add, great. But what we talked about is what? Intention. That's the real prerequisite. You meet that and everything else falls in place like a domino effect. Okay, the real criteria, the real condition, the only one that you need is Sincerity or sincerity of intent. Okay, if you have that, when the knowledge comes, everything else falls in place. Yeah, good questions. It's Pablo. Um, so, uh, in relation to the hadith about al 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 so my question is like based on like verses from the Quran. Does the Taba come from Allah uh, on us? Because like in Surah Al-Nahl, Al-Sunnah al Allahu ala qulubihim wa sam'ihim wa afsarihim. And uh, on like, yeah, like, there's like many verses that talk about Taba on the Adam from Allah. And then on the, the one that I really also want to highlight is the Surah Al-Munafiqoon. Thalika bi'annahum amanu thumma kafaru wa tubi'a ala qulubihim thumma la yaqamun. So, uh, so is Yeah, so, so two questions. The first one has to do with uh, and how the Holy Quran talks about uh, uh, and the second question is about yaqeen, uh, especially after you've witnessed a miracle. Okay, so for the first question, in the Holy Quran, every mention of the heart being uh, uh, is a bad one. What we're talking about is a good one. In the Holy Quran, the, the, the question or the issue is what is being sealed on the heart? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those verses in the Quran, He's saying he, he's, he's sealing their hearts as a result of what? 
It's not just, you know, someone has done a sin or something wrong and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes their heart closed off. Matbu' So that nothing good is expected of that heart. What, what has happened? What, what uh, characteristic uh, is determinant of those people that they fall into this issue? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa billah, He seals their hearts or puts this imprint on their hearts. And in short, it's stubbornness. Is that again and again and again, they continue either in nifaq or they see the truth and they refuse it. So the end result, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically says, I've given them all the chances and they have rejected all of them, which is the one of the literal meanings of kufr, right? That you reject, you reject, you reject stubbornly or, or, or juhud, we, where you reject constantly. At some point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is what you want. You want to continue rejecting, so I seal your heart. So the truth is right in front of you and you will not see it anymore. Okay, so it could be in nifaq or it could be in just rejection of the truth, stubborn, stubbornness. Okay, this is how the Holy Quran, when it talks about taba'a ala qulubihim, this is what it's referring to. Only. There is no mention of, you know, someone, for instance, having knowledge that becomes matbu'. There's no mention of that in the good sense in the Quran. The only verses are the ones that talk about the, the bad version of this. Okay, the second which can be linked to it, this is a good example. When Bani Israel, they are going, not only are they seeing uh, a miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are actually experiencing it. And it was not one, it was one after the other. They are excellent candidates for becoming of those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seals or imprints their hearts. Because they are witnessing the truth in front of them and they don't believe in it. And that's exactly what happened in that case. Do they have yaqeen? No. And that's the difference. And we talked about that in the, the previous series. The difference between knowing in theory and actually believing. It's no different than when I tell you this is a dead body. And you say, yeah, I know it's a dead body. Do you believe it moves? No. Does, can it do anything on its own? No. Will you spend the night with it? The majority of people will say, no, I will not. Why? You have the theoretical knowledge, but that knowledge is not really in your heart. In the times of Musa السلام, and others, if you read the, the history of, of Bani Israel and what they were asking for, it looks very much like they were still very materialistic. They could explain things away with, you know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala met that need for them. In fact, all of the previous nations. That they needed physical miracles. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to them. Yet no one believed. And we believe a lot of those miracles happened at the time of the Holy Prophet too. You have yaqeen in the sense that in one of the discussions, and I've mentioned this in the past, in one of the debates of Richard Dawkins, he was asked, what would it take for you to believe? Like we're having a debate because we think there is a way to convince you. Right? But if you say like nothing will convince you, then what's the point of debating? You're openly stating you will never change your mind. He said, no, no, you know, if, you, if a miracle were to happen like live right now as I'm talking to you, a miracle would happen right in front of me right now, then I might believe. But actually, I might still find a way to explain it through what I know from science and what I don't know from science. 
that's no, so you might see the miracle that he's seeing. Would you call that yaqeen? Well, yaqeen in the perceptual sense, you're both seeing something. How you explain it and how he explains it is going to be completely different. You consider that to be uh, unquestionable evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intervening because you're not accepting the logic, so he's intervening in this world to make you see something. And someone else is going to look at that and say, you know, this is maybe an unexplained scientific phenomena and you can explain it away by some biochemical, physical laws of nature, maybe that we don't know about yet. Okay, so the same thing can be explained. So these are different examples. They, it's not science that they believed in. But they're seeing things. This is the world that they are in, where they see that there are other nations and they're functioning and they have their own gods and they seem to have cool, attractive gods. They want one of those. They want to worship something, you know, solid, material, concrete, right in front of them. And it's not that they don't believe in the one God. It's that they want something as an intermediary, physical material, that they can worship, as opposed to worshiping something abstract and non-physical. So yes, you're absolutely right. A miracle just happened. The sea opened up and they walked in it. And then it closed up. And as soon as they went on the other side, they saw those people worshiping a statue and an idol. And they said, well, Musa, we want one of those. Make us an idol, just like they have an idol. And Musa told them, you are truly an ignorant group. You're an ignorant people. Don't you see that what they're doing is completely lost? It's just, a, you know, they're, they're, they're like, these are fools. And they're worshiping an idol. And God just did all of this, these favors for you. And he rescued you. And you want one of those? <laughs> an idol? And so they calmed down. And then Musa, alayhi salam, left. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called him to the miqat, to the covenant. And he comes back and they've created the statue, the idol. It was not enough, you know, he's... He's mad right now, let, let him calm down or leave and we'll just do our own thing. That's the qissa of the Samiri, right? He, he intervenes, is like, okay, this is what the people want, I should give it to them. I get more votes that way. Samiri, uh, he said, uh, no, he said, I qabaltu qabalatan min athar al-rasul, right? So whatever that means, there's a lot of interpretations to that. That I took a uh, uh, a handful of the trace of the messenger That's literally what he said And then, you know I threw it and we have the ajl, We have the cow, the calf The golden calf So, yeah, tafadhalu Yes, or your nature Yeah So the first part uh, has to do with how the, the nature that we talked about, the tabu' 
and the steps. So there's twice the good and the bad steps that we follow in the Holy Quran. The steps following in the the footsteps of the Holy Prophet versus following in the footsteps of the Shaytan, right? And so, in short, yes, that's exactly how the tabu' is created. It's how do you make that your nature? And we talked about that when we talked about where do the intentions come from? They come from something much deeper in you, your true nature, your inner nature. And how is that formulated or formed? It's formed from your habits. The more you repeat things, the more they become who you are. That becomes your nature. And this is where your intentions are coming from. So for some person, it's very easy to come up with good intentions. Good intentions naturally come out of them because this is what they've habituated themselves on. This has become their nature. Whereas for someone else, it's a huge struggle. Okay? So this is, you know, definitely that the steps, the steps are actions. They're decisions and actions you're taking, either in the way of the shaitan or in the way of the Holy Prophet, as he says, The second question, the difference, for instance, between Amwali or a Muhib and Shia, this is mentioned in some narrations. And um, inshallah, we'll talk a lot more about that as a topic. Um, but in short, I don't know if this is how I would explain it away. I would simply say these are different levels of uh, following or def- different levels of belief uh, and knowledge that goes with that belief. The criteria to be Shia, according to Al-Bayt, if you read them, they're extremely high. And that's why when they come to the imam and they tell him, we are your Shia, he says, don't say you're my Shia. Say you are, you love us. You are followers of us. You are supporters of us. But don't say you are our Shia. And then they go on, and we have a lot of narrations that give us some of the traits, the description, the characteristics of the Shia. So that the standard is much higher. It's like the imam is basically saying, it's not that you're bad people, but the standard we expect from someone to be labeled Shia is not this. Don't call yourself a Shia. Okay, call yourself something much lower than that. And that is good. There is no problem with that in itself. But there's a difference between that and Shia. To each, we, we keep, we respect the differences of position and title. Right? Fair is fair. This is a Shia. You are not. So it's very much, but unless I, I mistook or misunderstood your, your question. So are you saying the steps are what lead to becoming a Shia or not? Yes, yes. So how far, that's an excellent analogy or an excellent image. How far can you go? If you're following in the footsteps, Imam Ali alayhi salam, it's a beautiful image. Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam, when when Imam Ali was was struck and he passes away in Shah Ramadan, Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam gave a sermon, right? And he says, قَدْ أَتْعَبَهِ Imam Ali alayhi salam with his, who he was, he has exhausted anyone who is trying to follow. And, and no one has matched him before him. And he has exhausted anyone who tries. Because logically someone could come after him to, to try to be like him or to be better. So the imam says what? 
He says he's exhausted anyone who tries to follow him. It's like, imagine someone who has walked somewhere and you're just following in their footsteps. It's easy. They've put the way for you. They are the one who, who pioneered, who made the, that trace and those footsteps. You just need to follow and make it to where they are. Imam al-Hassan says, but he's exhausted anyone who moves in that direction. No one will catch up to him. Okay, so the idea is, yeah, the same thing can be said about someone who is Shia. They've basically went much further than someone who is a Muali or someone who is a Muhib, right? You might love Ahlul Bayt, but huge difference between that and being, you know, that honor, carrying that honor of you are truly the Shia of Ali. Yeah, good question. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين